grow and, and produce in us a new work, Lord God. Um, and I just pray, Jesus, that there would be more of you and less of me, God, as I preach this message today, um, because you are greater and you are so much better. So I just thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. All right. So uh, my name is Mali Bongwe Masinga. And um, it may surprise you to know that I have the shortest name of all my siblings. Yes. Um, so my parents are teachers, and um, I think they thought, oh, might as well have these kids learn the whole alphabet before the age of two. And so, yep. Um, so I've been in Busan for almost four and a half years, and this time has been spent growing, not so much this way, but... Um, so growing and loving, growing and loving the Lord, the city, the people, and most especially the church. Um, it still caught me by surprise when I found myself being considered for the local board earlier this year. Uh, what shocked me the most was not how, was not so much the nomination, but the resistance I felt in my heart towards being nominated. You see, as the church community, we were going through a time of shaking, and I was also kind of reeling from my own crisis of faith. I was having more questions than I could find answers for. And the more I read articles on the internet or watched YouTube videos, read Facebook posts from people uh, near and far, and even sat in cafes with people I love and trust, I found I was not alone in, in asking, is the church dying? Um, so, you see, uh, I gave my life to the Lord at the age of 11, at school. Twice a week, a friend of mine would grab my hand, and we would dash to the aptly named Jesus Club. Um, yeah, and it was led by our English teacher, Mr. Party. It was a great time of reading the Bible, singing songs, playing games, and eating snacks. So, I went every week because... Snacks. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And also singing. Singing and snacks, okay? Um, it took me a long time to finally respond to Mr. Party's call for us to dedicate our lives to Jesus, uh, which I did eventually. But I can tell you that even at 11, the struggle was very real. I didn't always connect. Uh, um, oh, sorry. Uh, yes, yeah, so Mr. Party, all right, I gave my life to the Lord, and his next step was that we should join a local church. And at 11, I started to struggle. Like, what is the church? And I didn't always connect to or understand the purpose of the church. And with time, I've come to see the church thrive and to live out its triumphant purpose. But in 2018, I found myself a little bit shaken. I desperately needed a new lens through which to see the church and the best place to look is God's word. And so today we'll be reading from Matthew 16, uh, where Jesus mentions the church for the first time. Matthew 16, 13 to 18. So it's up there. I don't know if you can read all of that. But, um, if you have it on your phone, in your Bible, let's read together. So now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. All right. So the word church comes from the Greek word ecclesia, right? Which means called out. And the church is also known to, is also commonly used to signify a gathering, an assembly, a congregation. In Matthew 16, we see this wonderful exchange happening between Jesus and Peter. Jesus and his disciples find themselves at a place called Caesarea Philippi. And here, they may have been seeking solitude or maybe even safety from the crowds. Like People were not happy with Jesus. And um, out of what seems like left field, right? Out of nowhere, I feel, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And the disciples give several answers. So varying from John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or even the prophets. And these answers are not correct. But they are valid, which is interesting. They're valid, but they're not correct. And people had observed his teaching, um, the signs and wonders that flowed from him, and they were concluding that surely Jesus is one of these prophets resurrected. And Jesus doesn't confirm or deny any of these examples. Instead, he says to the disciples, who do you say that I am? How they answer this question will determine the rest of this interaction. So if we were watching a movie, this is that part where you lift your popcorn to your mouth and you're like, oh, I, I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, and the reason why I felt that way is if you know these guys, if you know the disciples so far, this answer could go either way. We, just, we have no idea <laughs> what's going to happen. Because just in the previous few verses, Jesus had said to them, um, he had warned them about the yeast of the Pharisees, and they thought he was asking them, what's for lunch? Like, I, you know, we just never know what's going to happen. So Jesus gazes at them, and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, ever confident, steps forward. In a, let me, guys, let me, guys. Okay? And he answers, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, at first I thought maybe Jesus, who is fully human and fully God, is asking this question because his time to go to the cross is coming near, right? And so I thought maybe he just needs some encouragement or some affirmation from his friends and disciples. And, but I think something more powerful is happening here. Jesus is interested in their answer because there should be a distinction between who people say he is, and who his people say he is, right? There should be a difference. Who people say he is and who his people say he is. Caesarea Philippi was a site where many gods were worshipped. In this Greek Roman city, there were several shrines and temples dedicated to the gods of Pan, Zeus, Nemesis, and in the Old Testament, we read that the Canaanites would go here to worship Baal. So this place was what 
I would think Las Vegas is, okay? Um, <laughs> and um, it, was a, it was a sinful place because in this place, the Jewish rabbis actually forbade any good Jew to go here. But Jesus takes his disciples and asks them to make a confession of who he is. The word Christ means God's anointed one. And um, having read in the Old Testament, anointed usually was for the priests and the prophets, or even kings, and they would just pour oil, right? Oil over their heads, and that was an anointing. But Christ is a bigger anointing. It's, it's how a king would be anointed with a crown. So Christ is not, Christ means king, right? And so his disciples are saying that he is the king. And this action is powerful that he should do it at Caesarea Philippi because he's asking the disciples to look at the stone-cold idols and recognize that there is a living king amongst them. And in modern times, this would be like Jesus walking into Hollywood and looking at the, is the Walk of Fame in Hollywood? Yes? Okay. All right. So he's looking at the Walk of Fame, and he's like, cool, I see these stars. I see these idols. Or he would be walking into Wall Street and being like, oh, I see all of that. I see that money is king here. But I, I am the king. I am the real king. Um, And so Jesus commends Peter's answer, and he says to him that this answer could only have come from God, right? It's an answer that only heaven could have revealed. And if we look at verse 17, uh, Jesus calls Peter by a new name, um, by his name, Simon Bar Jonah, right? And he does this to make a contrast that his fleshly nature, which was Simon Bar Jonah, could not have given this answer. Only heaven could have given this answer. And Bar Jonah um, means son of Jonah, right? So Simon, Simon's dad, was Jonah. Um, And Jonah means dove or even feather. So if you think of a feather, what do you think of? Feel free to. What? Soft, right. Soft is a good one, yes. White, floaty, yeah, I like that. (laughs) Floaty, okay. Uh, Yeah, so a, a feather, right? For me, it's so pretty, right? So pretty. Delicate, <laughs> delicate, easily movable. It's floaty. It goes any way that the wind dictates. And so Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you have been this, but I'm giving you a new name. I'm giving you a new identity. And he says that going forward, Simon Barjona is to be known as Peter. Peter means rock, solid, not easily moved, Okay. And in the rest of the Old Testament and for all of history and time, Peter is known by his new name. All right? So, okay, I want to tell a quick little story. And for my American friends, it might not make a lot of sense, but um, in my high school, we wore a black, black, green, and purple striped blazer. Okay? Yeah. And that's not even all. Okay, and then we wore a green blouse with an ivy green tunic. So ivy green, light green, purple, black, green, and white blazer, all together. (laughs) 
not the most fashionable of times. That's why there are no photos, no evidence. It never happened to me. <laughs> um, and so I remember in the few months or a few weeks preceding high school, um, I had to go shopping for a new blazer, okay, for a blazer. And my dad, my dad is very economical. Um, and my dad decided that I needed a blazer in a bigger size so that I could grow into it. <laughs> yes, yes, people. That was my high school experience, a bigger blazer. Um, and, and uh, of course, the first few months were a little bit painful because social life. Um, but with time, with time, the blazer ended up fitting really well. And I think Jesus is doing the same thing to Peter, okay? It's awkward for all of us reading because we know that this name doesn't seem to fit Peter, okay? Peter, Peter is uh, flawed. He's impetuous. This is a, I like this word. Um, because it means that Peter doesn't think before he does something. He's impulsive, right? And even before we get to Matthew 17, Jesus has to look at Peter and be like, dude, yeah, he has to rebuke him. Okay, he has to rebuke him. And because Peter just does not always think first. But Jesus, knowing all these things, knows that Peter is exactly the right name for what he will become. All right? And I want you to kind of grasp that, that we are like Peter. All of us here, we are like Peter. We're very much in the process of growing into our, or into our identity in Christ. Proverbs 4.18 says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of day, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. All right? So we are getting there. We are getting there slowly. But we are growing into our true selves that Jesus has called us to be, and we are growing together. But we are growing at different times. Okay? So that means it's going to be messy. Right? Church is meant to be messy. And where there is life, wherever there is growth, there is mess. And I think none of the, our parents are here today, but I think if you could ask any of the parents who have young kids, they could tell you that where there's growth, there's mess. Okay, so life equals mess. And that's how the church is meant to be, a little bit messy sometimes. So in verse 18, so we just read verse 17. In verse 18, all right, Jesus says, um, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. So I was intrigued when I noticed that my Bible had a footnote for Peter and rock. Okay, because we just determined that Peter means rock. So why would there be a footnote? And imagine when studying this verse and learning that it's one of the most hotly contested places in scripture for the church. So the church is like, fighting, the church as a whole. There's been like a fight over this scripture. And I just thought to myself, wow, now isn't that ironic, don't you think? And, um, <laughs> yeah, there it is. Um, all right, <laughs> 90s baby. Um, yeah, so the church has been contesting this verse because some argue that this verse is to be read exactly as it stands. They argue that the church was to be built upon Peter. But 
we've just spent a few minutes talking about Peter and his character, right? We know that as a man, he's a little bit flawed. We know that Jesus was adamant that his disciples consider themselves equals. And we know that the rock that the church was built upon would have to be able to withstand hell, okay? It would have to be something bigger than hell, or rather, someone bigger than hell, okay? So, Peter, in the Greek, is Petros. And the word used for the rock is Petra. So, Jesus did a thing here. And I was like, whoa, Jesus, that's cool. Okay, so Petros and Petra. These are kind of the same, but very different. A Petra is a giant rock, like a boulder or a cliff, while Petros is a smaller part of that rock. It might even be called a stone or a pebble. So Petros is a rock with a small r. Petrus, Petra is a rock with a capital R. And so this leads you to think, what or rather who could the rock that the church would be built upon be, right? In Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 20, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. 1 Corinthians 10.4 says, For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Isaiah 28.16, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. The church is built upon Jesus. You're right. The answer is always Jesus. <laughs> okay. The church is built upon Jesus himself. His death, shed blood, and resurrection form the very foundation upon which the church stands. Jesus tells us a little bit about the church that he's going to build. This church is to be a militant one, militant. He says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Gates, it's very interesting, are an offensive weapon. They are not defensive. So gates cannot fight. They merely keep people in and others out. And the church that Jesus describes here is not weak or oppressed. It is not a body sitting around in fear of what might hell do next. No, that is not what the church is. Um, instead, the church is active. It is on the move. It is charging at the strongholds of hell. It does not operate on fear. It is literally a church that hell cannot handle. I wanted to show you a picture of uh, Caesarea Philippi. So this is where Jesus was standing when he, he had this whole encounter with Peter. And how does it look? Rocky! Yes! <laughs> That's the only answer I need. Rocky. <laughs> That's right, it's rocky. It housed a cave and a spring dedicated to the god Pan. A temple was built in the midst of the city. And um, in the midst of the city, at the mouth of the cave, where people could make sacrifices. So people could make sacrifices at the mouth of the cave over there. 
And according to the narrative, so there's a legend, that Pan was one of the few gods who could cross over into Hades and return to the earth. Okay? So there was a legend that Pan, the god that they worshipped there, could cross into Hades, come back to earth. And so this site was recognized as the gates of Hades. So Jesus may have literally been standing on the gates of Hades. Isn't that cool? So cool. All right? <laughs> so cool. So Jesus is standing at the gates of Hades, declaring that they cannot, they cannot prevail against the church. Okay. Okay, that's Jesus. Oh my goodness. You see, so if you look to the internet or even to other people, they might tell you that, they might tell you some scary facts about the church. Churches are empty. A great number of churches have to close their doors every year. Even in South Korea, the number of professing Christians does not match up to the number of people who belong to church. And some would tell you that they love God, they love Jesus, but they just cannot be down with the church, all right? And the church has made some bad decisions, and that's true. Some are hard to defend. Um, and so maybe you might think, is the church struggling? Perhaps at times. Is the church dying? I don't think so. In Matthew 7, verse 25, Jesus tells a story of a man who built his house on a rock, and the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. I love the Gospels, because I can empathize completely with the disciples. See, they ask wrong questions, they give wrong answers, <laughs> completely, okay? And so, at the beginning, I thought, my question was, is the church dying? But I think all along I had been asking the wrong question. Because when I understand who, the, who Jesus is, I can understand that the church doesn't need resuscitation through doing more, adding more programs, preaching better sermons, being more hospitable, becoming transformed faster. The hope of the church is in who we believe Jesus to be. Okay? So do you believe he's just a nice man? Cool story, bro. Great prophet. Cool priest. I don't know. Or is he Christ? Is he the victorious one? Is he mighty in battle? Okay? And I just thought about ourselves, that maybe it's easy for us to, to kind of look around and to be like, okay, we look small because we're just a part of this big body, right? We're a part of the church, but we're a small letter church in the midst of the church, right? And it's easy to look around and, and to feel small. But we are part of a beautiful, bigger story that God is writing. And we may feel weak, and I think that's okay. In fact, I think that's perfect. Because our strength doesn't come from us. The church is not built on your neighbor sitting next to you, no matter how powerful they look. The church is not built on them. We're not built on the leaders. We're not built on the board members. We're not even built on our pastors. But we are built on the rock that is Christ. This rock is committed. This rock can never be defeated. 
Um, and so I would like us all to, <laughs> oh, seems very short, stand up and uh, take our benediction as the church. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So, yeah, if you could just hold hands. Yes. Oh, that's cool. I really like it. I like seeing us holding hands. That's cool. Um, and if you could just take the benediction with me. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.